right. Well, as Jake said, grab your Bibles. If you haven't already, open them to Luke chapter 4. And we are going to continue our series called Upside Down Kingdom. Whether you have your physical Bible with you on your lap open to Luke 4, or you've got a, um, a Bible app on your device or whatever, love to have you follow along in the Word of God so that we hear from the Word of God together. So in a moment, um, in a couple of minutes here, I'll, I'll get started and be reading uh, in Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 31. Give you a moment to turn there. We're going to have a chance to ponder some important things in the next few minutes together. Authority. We're going to have the opportunity to ponder authority. We're going to have the opportunity to ponder power. Are we our own authority? Or or do we delude ourselves into thinking that we have authority in and of ourselves? Where, where does authority come from? Who is authority? Whose, whose strength, whose power do you depend on? Whose ability do you depend on? Now, let's just acknowledge, I'll just acknowledge, that I'm, gonna, I'm asking these questions to get us thinking, to get us reflecting, and underneath there could really be the church answer, right? You might know what you're supposed to say. What I'm supposed to know is the right answer, but that doesn't mean we ought to not, that doesn't mean we shouldn't consider these questions and let them penetrate a bit and let them, let them address our heart. Whose power do you depend on? Whose ability? Who's in charge of your life? Who reigns on the throne of your life? There is a church answer. But really, is that true for you in your day in and day out? Is it true for you in your thought, the thought, your thought life and the words that come out of your mouth and your actions as you interact with others? And I'm pointing these same questions at myself. There's a church answer to where our authority is, who, who has the power, and, and who is in charge. But really, for you... We are in a series of messages called The Upside-Down Kingdom. Jesus says, um, I must, in in today's passage, we will hear Jesus say, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And so he begins to talk. This is the first of, uh, that's not going to work. My notes just went black. Oh, okay, good. They're back. Uh, Jesus says in today's passage, I must preach the good news of, of the kingdom of God. Uh, And this is the first of 31 times that Jesus talks about the kingdom. And so it's an opportunity for us as we study through Luke to know and learn what he means by the kingdom of God. Um, But why did we call this series the upside down kingdom? Because the world's way is not Jesus's way. The way we would establish our kingdom and look for authority and power and control is not Jesus' way. What we discover about the kingdom of God is that it's vastly different, upside down from what we might expect. In, in the kingdom of God, the least are the greatest. In the kingdom of God, to die is gain. 
And so we're asking God to show us as we study the Gospel of Luke about this upside-down kingdom. And when it comes to Jesus preaching the good news of the kingdom, we, we need to know right off that you cannot enter God's kingdom. You cannot enjoy God's kingdom unless you know the king. You cannot enjoy God's kingdom unless your life is submitted to, surrendered. These are the things we just sang. So I surrender. I, I offer my life as an offering. I give my all. These are, this is, you cannot enter God's kingdom unless you are submitted to, king, to the king. So is Jesus truly king of our lives, or, or do we kind of hold on to authority and power and control more than we'd like to think? Is Jesus truly the king of our life, or do we um, think that we have more authority in and of ourselves than we really do? Do we think that we have more power and control over our lives than we really do? Join me in Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 31. And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because his teaching, for his word possessed, what? Authority. See, this is what's interesting. When Jesus gets onto the scene, religious teachers before him would mostly make a case for their, their, their opinions, their arguments. They would mostly build their case on, on the backs of others. The religious teachers would, would quote past religious teachers and, and try to build their argument and try to proclaim, proclaim their truths about God to you by, by stacking themselves on other human opinion and kind of rehashing things and building an argument from it. And Jesus arrives on the scene and Jesus says things like, you have heard it said such and such. But I say to you, do you hear the difference? Jesus arrives and isn't just speaking about God's word. Jesus arrives and is speaking God's word. His word is God's word. And this is what is noticed in this teaching. This is why people are astonished. This is why people realize that his teaching has authority. Where have we seen just in this chapter, if you've been with us for this series of messages in Luke chapter 4, even just in this chapter, where have we seen the word of God in the life of Jesus? At the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by who? Satan. And his main tool in fighting back the temptations of the evil one is God's word. He brings the scriptures to mind and he brings the scriptures to his defense and he knows the, the teachings of God. And so the word of God is a significant part of the life of Jesus, even there in the desert fighting off the temptations of the evil one. Where else did we see? Just last Sunday, Jesus is in the synagogue with religious people, and they invite him to read from what? The word, from the scriptures. And Jesus not only reads from the word, but declares that what he has read from the word of God is fulfilled, is true in him. Last Sunday, we looked at that passage and him 
saying, what you have heard today, what we have read, what you have heard is fulfilled in me. I am the promised rescuer. I am the one who was to come. The word is important in the life of Jesus. And so followers of Jesus follow Jesus. If the word is important in the life of Jesus, should the word of God be important in the life of the follower of Jesus? Yeah. My hope and prayer for me and for you is that we will continue to look to God's word, to the authority that we need in our lives, the authority that that Jesus taught with while Jesus is not physically present with us in this era, while we are not uh, experiencing his authority in his person, we are experiencing his authority in the word of God. And, And thus the word of God has a important place in the life of a believer. And so the word of God will continue to be critical to our gatherings together on Sunday. The word of God has a place when you gather in smaller groups within our church family, especially in our life groups. Even if our life groups, when they gather together, don't study the word in that setting, especially what you have an opportunity to do is break down into even smaller groups. We love to encourage a life group of 8, 10, 12, 16 people to divide up into groups of three or so, groups of three men, groups of three women, groups of three men, groups of three women, and get in God's word together. Be studying the same thing throughout the week and then get together occasionally and talk about what you're learning. The word of God was, was active in the life of Jesus himself, God himself, the son of God came to be with us. And so as followers of Jesus, we follow Jesus and we incorporate the word of God into our lives. And now as the passage continues, we see that not only does Jesus have authoritative teaching, but we are going to see his authoritative power. Verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The, the wording there is, is literally, what have you to do with us, is don't meddle, don't mess with us, leave us alone. And then the, this voice, this, this demon-possessed man c- continues, have you come to destroy us? And that's even less, less of a question and more of a declaration. You've come to destroy us. You've come to be our doom. And so he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There's a whole lot of things going on here. There's a whole lot of things we could talk about. There's a whole lot of things we will talk about as we continue to to teach through the Gospel of Luke together. But here is one thing I'd like to say at this point, that whenever the authority of Jesus is declared, whenever the authority of Jesus is acknowledged, proclaimed, when the greatness of Jesus, when the reality of him being the promised rescuer, when him being the Son of God is known and proclaimed, there will be supernatural opposition. When the, power, when, when the goodness of God is proclaimed in the greatness of Jesus, there is a reality of supernatural opposition. When God's at work in the lives of his people and in his church, guess who doesn't like it? Satan wants to mess with it. Satan wants to thwart and get in the way. 
Church family, there is a reality of evil. There is a reality of spiritual battles that go on between the goodness of God and the forces of evil. There is a reality of unseen battles in the spiritual realm. And then here's an example of one in the passage today. That Satan's sidekick here, who has possessed this poor man, he knows who Jesus is, and, 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 and he, can't even, he can't even stand Jesus' presence. This, this, evil, uh, this evil demon has taken over this poor person, and, and just the presence of Jesus makes him uncomfortable. You're here to destroy me. Don't mess with me. Leave us alone. I know who you are. And, and Satan, this sidekick of Satan may know who Jesus is, but is he a follower of Jesus? Has he put his trust in Jesus? Does he believe in Jesus? No, but he knows who Jesus is. And, and, and uh, he also knows, as his pro, he proclaimed by saying, you've come to destroy us. He also knows he's doomed. He also knows that good wins. He also knows that the forces of evil, while, re, while real, and while there is an unseen spiritual battle, all of, of Satan's activity and his evil henchman's activity is under the thumb of God, and they will be defeated once and for all when Jesus returns and sets all things right. And so this, this voice says, you're trying to destroy us, because he knows that he is doomed that Jesus wins. And so once this evil spirit makes itself known, we now continue the passage in verse 35, and this is the first of 21 miracles God's power demonstrated one of 21 miracles that were recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Not all, certainly not all of the miracles of God's power that must have occurred in the ministry of Jesus, but the 21 recorded in Luke, verse 35. But Jesus rebuked this evil spirit, saying, be silent. I love the language in the original language there. It's literally, be muzzled. Be muzzled and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him. And look at what is said about this poor man that had been, had been, past tense, demon-possessed. When the demon came out of him, having done him no harm. Because of the power of God to rescue, because of the power of God through Jesus to deliver this man from, from what seeks to control and what seeks to disrupt. And, and not just... Not just uh, some limited small power, but power to make you whole. Church family, to deliver you from evil, to, to rescue you from what strives to control you and overpower you. And, and then not only that kind of power, but power to, to make you whole again. To transform you into who God has made you to be. And to, to, to bring you into life. To true, meaningful, rich, full, abundant life now in this earthly experience not perfect, not without difficulty, but real life now in the presence of God. And then, of course, Jesus has the power, the ability, the authority to rescue us from sin and death and bring us into new life, new life eternal in the presence of God beyond this earthly existence. Verse 36. And they were all amazed I mean, imagine if you had just witnessed this. 
And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, Jesus commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the reports about Jesus went out into every place in the surrounding region. These people were witness to God's kingdom breaking into the world. I mean, what a, what a glorious opportunity for them to be there in the presence of Jesus, to hear his authoritative teaching, but then to hear his authoritative teaching followed up with authoritative power and to witness God's kingdom breaking into this broken and imperfect earthly existence. They are there to witness God's kingdom breaking into life. How? With a word. With just Jesus saying so. Not only is Jesus' teaching authoritative, but his power is God's power, and it proves that he is who he says he is, the one true king, the son of God, the promised rescuer. God's kingdom breaking in to our life. The gospel is the spectacular good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You want to talk about God's kingdom and power and authority breaking into our world? Look no further than his son Jesus, who came who lived the life that we cannot live, who lived without sin, who didn't go his own way, who didn't rebel against God like we all do. Jesus came into our world, God's kingdom breaking into our earthly experience. Jesus came to be with us and among us and relate to us and empathize with us and to go through this life without sin, representing us, meeting God's righteous standard that we do not match up to. You want to talk about God's kingdom breaking into our earthly experience? We look no further than his son Jesus, his sinless life, and his substitutionary death on the cross, that he came to be with us, not just to be with us and understand us and, and lead us, but to say, you know what? Your sin, I take on myself. The penalty that you are due, I will take on. The, 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 the forgiveness of sin that you need is yours in me, Jesus says. The life that we could not live, the death that we deserved, and was that the end of the story? You want to talk about God's kingdom breaking into our earthly existence? You look no further than the Son of God, Jesus Christ, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, and his victorious resurrection from the dead. And do we celebrate that just at Easter? I'm looking forward to it, by the way. But Jesus is alive. This is God's kingdom breaking in to our earthly existence. As we study the gospel of Luke and we see the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, we can celebrate the kingdom of God breaking in and showing us what God is all about. And in our passage this morning, Jesus has more to show us. As if that wasn't awesome enough. God's kingdom breaking into our earthly existence. Let's look at verse 38. And Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Pete, uh, Simon's house. It says Simon. Some of your Bibles might say Peter. This is the one and the same, Simon Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus. So Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high 
fever. Sometimes we keep reading the scriptures or we're so, we just keep going and we get to the rest of the story or sometimes we're so familiar with the story, I feel like we miss opportunities to put ourselves in the story. And I don't know about you, but I learn much more when I really put myself in the story and ask God to help me imagine what was going on and what this must be like. When was the last time any of you had a high fever? Think about it. Has anyone ever had a high fever? Okay, think about the last time you had a high fever. You were just going through your day doing just fine? What, what does a high fever feel like? Miserable, right? I mean, usually with a high fever, your body is reacting accordingly. Lethargic, tired, uh, uncomfortable, unable to function. Jesus goes to Simon's mother-in-law, who is ill with a high fever, and, and, and they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. Verse 39, and Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever. So now we have the authority of Jesus, the power of God, uh, rebuking the forces of evil in the previous paragraph, and now we have the, the authority of God rebuking illness and disease. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. It left her so much. What did you just describe? I mean, what did you just imagine about having a high fever? Miserable? Laid low? Not up for much? Look at the effect of Jesus' authoritative power in the life of this woman. He, it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. I mean, it seems almost kind of awkward at first. Like, shouldn't she just relax a bit, or somebody should get her a drink of water? But actually, it's highly descriptive of how immediate his healing was and how powerful his healing power was. It's because she went back to doing what she wanted to be doing. Out of gratefulness for God's work in her life, she shows gratitude in her serving. And not to mention the fact that followers of Jesus do what? Follow Jesus. Jesus, God himself, come from on high, if anyone could have taken a mighty approach and taken the power and walked around the earth like a high and mighty and being a leader and taking charge, Jesus, the Son of God, gave up the right hand of the Father, came to live with, with us. And one of the most common descriptions of the way he ministered and led is as a servant. Jesus gave his life. Jesus is not, it, the scripture says Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So at first it might seem awkward that this, this, this uh, fever goes away and boom, she's serving. But followers of Jesus do what Jesus does and followers of Jesus that are healed and the fever's gone, get up and serve people. It's glorious. It's so exciting to hear that. Verse 40, now the sun was setting. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any, all, listen, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. How would you be feeling right now? The entire neighborhood, the entire city, the entire region, anyone who had anybody sick or hurting or struggling and they were bringing them to Jesus, how would that feel? I'd be a little overwhelmed. 
All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. And Jesus uh, just said, oh, oh, man, there's a bunch of people out there. Boom, you're healed. Is that what it says? Could Jesus have done that? Absolutely. Does Jesus have authoritative power that could have just done mass group healing? Yeah. He does have the power. But it says that when they brought them to Jesus, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. He has the power. It could have been just mass group healing. He, he, we've, been, we've been in this passage um, re- considering the power of his spoken word. Could he have just said the word and the healing would have happened? Absolutely. But the way of Jesus, listen to who you serve. Listen to who is king of kings. Listen to who is the promised rescuer. Listen to who is the son of God, your only hope for life and salvation. The way he operates is with individual care, with healing touch, with compassion. One of the commentators I studied this week said that Jesus' kingdom power is not an impersonal force, but his power is personally and lovingly given out. Is that your experience of Jesus? I hope so. He knows you. He sees you. He has authority and power. And what he, when he puts that authority and power into action, it's with grace and kindness and tenderness and gentleness and compassion. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. We talked last Sunday about the fact that his mission is our mission. And so his style of ministry should be our style of ministry. And what we just saw is that his style of ministry is compassion and care and kindness towards others. How does your life, church family, how does your life as an individual believer Uh, demonstrate compassion and care and and seeking the health and well-being of those around you. Faith Church, how do we as a church demonstrate the love that God has poured out to us, the compassion that we have received from God, the grace and forgiveness and kindness that we have received from God? Faith Church, how does our church family, how do we together uh, demonstrate compassion for those around us? How do we show care and seeking the, the improvement of health and, and finding people, finding healing from where they hurt? Followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. His mission is our mission. The ways of Jesus are to be our ways. Verse 41 Verse 41, and demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ, the promised rescuer. 
we'll have an opportunity to explore that idea of, of Jesus silencing them, not wanting to, them to proclaim his identity. We'll have an opportunity to talk about that a little more in coming weeks. Verse 42, and when it was day, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place. As he often did, Jesus withdrew to find solitude, to find a place to talk with the Father in heaven. And the people sought Jesus and came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so he was pre preaching in the synagogues of Judea. We, we said at the beginning this morning that we would encounter this phrase in today's passage. There it is, the kingdom of God, the first of 31 mentions in the Gospel of Luke about the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Church family, the, the kingdom of God has passed, present, and future implications. The kingdom of God is true in the past because God is sovereign over all things and always has been. Amen? The kingdom of God has present implications because Jesus in his ministry came and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Jesus was proclaiming that the kingdom of God, meaning the reign of God over all things, the rule of God breaking into the world, God exercising his sovereign power and authority over all things, Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's arriving. We can think of that in the present, in Jesus' time and in our present time, as the kingdom is unfolding the kingdom reality is increasingly true as God exercises his sovereignty over all things. And there is a beautiful future implication of the kingdom of God, that it is true in the past because God is sovereign. The kingdom of God is unfolding and, and present with us now as we follow Jesus, and the, and the kingdom of God will be fully realized, fully established, fully consummated in the future when Jesus returns and sets all things right. Jesus came and said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God breaking into the world. So much so that you've got a lot going on here, he said in Capernaum. You've got a lot of people. You'd like to keep me here, but I've got to go. I've got to spread the good news. I've got to tell others about what God has done for them. So how do we respond how do we respond when, when, we, when we realize, when we come to the scriptures and we're reminded yet again that the glory of God, the creator of the universe, the kingdom of God is breaking into our world? How do we respond? We pray as Jesus taught us to pray. And one of the, one of the uh, phrases in the Lord's prayer is, your kingdom come. The way we respond to realizing that, that God's kingdom is breaking into our earthly experience is we follow in Jesus' prayer of, of learning to pray it and mean it, praying to the Father in heaven and saying, your kingdom come, and meaning it, meaning that we look forward to the establishment, the, the full realization of the kingdom of God, that, we, that, we, that our prayers put us in a posture of, of, of looking forward to God's continued kingdom, his ultimate reign over all things. And that, uh, that phrase in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, also has a component of 
conforming ourselves to him. If we truly from the heart can look, at, look to the Father in heaven and pray, your kingdom come, and then part of that is what we're also saying is, I set my kingdom aside, my will aside, and I want your will. I don't want to live in my little kingdom. I want to live, learn to live in your kingdom. Your kingdom come. I look forward to your continued reign over all things. And, and Lord, conform my will to your will. That's what it would, would look like, and that's what it what we uh, ought to spur each other to do is to pray that aspect of the Lord's Prayer. I don't do this often, but I'm just going to read a paragraph or two from one of the commentators I studied this week because I just found it so helpful. And rather than try to paraphrase or try to do my own version, why do that? Today I'm just going to read it. Author and pastor... Kent Hughes, speaking of this prayer that we just talked about. This is not a prayer for people who want to stay the way they are. When we pray like this, we hand ourselves over to the grace of God so that he may do as he pleases in our lives. Your kingdom come in my life. Use me in your kingdom. While it is easy to pray for that future eschatological kingdom and rule of Christ that will be true in the future when Jesus returns, while it is easy to pray for the future kingdom and the rule of Christ, it is quite another thing to pray for his present kingdom rule now and in our hearts. This is especially difficult for us moderns, for our culture has fostered a rebellious Submit to no one, spirit. Marriages fall apart because spouses have never submitted to anything or anyone unless they wanted to. Children are taught to question authority. Students reject teachers' authority. Employees chafe under the authority of employers. And so it goes with the citizens in regards to the laws and government and even with believers in regard to the church. Add to this the modern anti-authority malaise, the uniquely American worship of independence and individualism, and we have a potent recipe for a profound inability to truly submit to any authority, even that of Christ himself. This is why so many moderns have no kingdom power. You cannot enjoy a kingdom unless you are submitted to the king. Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us. This red Sunday and always. Thank you, Father, that we get to reflect this morning, thanks to your word, that your love for us includes proper authority in our lives, that your love for us includes the demonstrations of your power to save. So, Father in heaven, help us to submit ourselves afresh this morning to Jesus as King. 
Father, may, this, may, may these words and may this prayer and, and may our, 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 our contemplations right now not just be uh, thinking of those that don't yet know Jesus and need to find Jesus, but God, would each of us, even those of us that have been walking with Jesus for some time, God, would each of us seek you this morning, asking for your gracious help in teaching us to submit ourselves to Jesus as King in every area, in all of life, all the time. And to do that, Father, help us to see ourselves accurately. Help us to see our lack of authority and power and ability to control our lives. Help us to see ourselves accurately that we have spiritual need because of our rebellion and sin, because of our tendency to go our own way. Help us to see ourselves accurately as people in need of rescue and in need of transformation. And this morning, Father, help us to see Jesus accurately, whether for the first time or whether it's yet again as we go to your word, help us to see Jesus accurately, his authoritative teaching from you, his authoritative power from you. And Father, help us to see Jesus accurately as the King of kings, the one true king, the one we need to know, the one we must follow to enter and to enjoy the kingdom of God. God, we desire to live for Jesus. We fall short. We go our own way. But Lord, help us increasingly to live for Jesus. Help us to increasingly, by your grace and by your Spirit's work in our lives, to be able to live out the ways of Jesus. May our lives be increasingly full of worship. May our hearts, as we are conformed to your will over our will, may our hearts increasingly rejoice, give praise, give you honor not just on Sunday mornings, but every day, God, may we lift our voice in songs of praise. May we speak prayers of praise. May we trust you in every area of, life, of our lives, including financially, as we give offerings of worship. And as we sang a few minutes ago, God, we, we need to know, we need your help in learning to give our whole lives as an offering for your glory to give ourselves, to set ourselves aside and to put you first, to put Jesus on the throne. So we do. In the next few minutes we have together, we continue then to lift your name high, to worship you in many ways, to show you our need for you and to look to you above all. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.